Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto. In the spirit of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada, I, Donna Paris, solemnly pledge to learn more about Indigenous peoples and issues to not perpetuate stereotypes in my conversations or observations, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 calls to action, to read the 231 calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and to actively encourage ongoing support of National Indigenous Peoples Day every June 21st and National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And you can find this pledge at Indigenous Corporate Training Inc. at www.ictinc.ca. I give gratitude and thanks. In the Black Canada, in collaboration with Dawes Picks, was on the road during the summer of 2022 collecting stories about Black folks and their experiences of being Black in Canada. And one of our first interviews was with Zacharia Leonardi. Zacharia is Afro-Indigenous and was born on July 10th, 1998 in Thunder Bay, Ontario. His mother and his maternal grandmother were also born in Thunder Bay and his maternal grandfather was born in Chapleau, Ontario. Zacharia's father was born in Mogadishu, Somalia, as were both his paternal grandparents. Zacharia spends his time between working in the trades and pursuing his hockey career. And Zacharia was one of the organizers of the anti-Black racism rally that took place in Thunder Bay in 2020. I sometimes say that I am Scotian because I was born in Nova Scotia. Sometimes I say I'm African-Canadian and other times I say I'm Black. And in the CBC article you were in, you were described as Afro-Canadian. What does that mean to you? Afro-Canadian to me is a Canadian who has like, you know, an African heritage where somebody along the lines either came from there, right? And I was like a first generation for when it came to my family. My dad, he moved from Somalia to Thunder Bay in the early 90s. Like He fled during like the civil war that was taking place and then he met my mom then they had me in 1998 and unfortunately you know they things didn't go great but you know I still had me right that's my afro heritage right so it doesn't matter I always like kept that of course you'll always have that exactly what was it like growing up as afro-indigenous in Thunder Bay it was interesting for starters there wasn't a lot of like African or like black people here. And, you know, the indigenous community is much larger. So, you know, for me, like when I had my like, I guess support or when I like, you know, the color community I was around was more of my indigenous like cousins and, you know, brothers and sisters and all that, right? And going to school, playing hockey, right? I had that support, but uh, there's a lot of hatred in this city. Like, I mean, most people can search up Thunder Bay and they can hear about the police reports. Um, the murders and just like the probes and everything that goes on. It was definitely difficult, but having the right community and the right elders, you know, kind of just like showing us the ropes and how to like overcome stuff was very, very helpful. I read an article that said that 
in terms of hate crimes, Thunder Bay is fifth in Canada. When I last heard it, we were top three. Um, we're usually the murder capital of Canada. You know, the hate crimes here, they're pretty high. Like, it's kind of apparent, like, when you hear um, any interaction with, let's say, law enforcement or, unfortunately, even sometimes medical staff, right? Like, with people of color at the hospitals or just, like, on the streets. Like, it's not, you don't see the same level of, like, caring and, like, nurturing Mm-hmm. So it is a little frustrating, but in comparison to when I was younger, you're starting to see like a better trend going in the right direction. Like, I mean, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and it's not going to change immediately. But, you know, just like the many people before us that fought for generations, as long as we keep going, maybe generations in the future are not going to have to continue and deal with like this nonsense. Right. Let's hope so. We're surrounded by an indigenous community. Did yes. you get black about your black heritage? Growing up, I was always like uh, told I was uh, like Métis Ojibwe, right? But we never had our full status because, you know, the laws before you couldn't get it, but the laws have changed. And I'm currently in the process of like reclaiming my Métis heritage. But my little brothers and sisters, they're all full status. They accepted me. Like I had reserves where for like hockey tournaments and all that. They actually wanted to uh, sign me on and they'll be like, yeah, we'll adopt you. We'll take you in, right? And like when I'm with the indigenous community, it's almost like when I'm with my black community as I got older, it's, it's very similar. Like it's just, it's a sense of belonging and it's just like, you know, the community, the laughter, the joy, like we've all experienced the same types of trauma. And as the years have gone on, like we always knew we were native. We were always told we weren't native enough. And as I got older, you started to hear stories, right? That, oh, like some of our elders, they lived with the nuns. And as a child, you're not quite sure what that is. But as you get older, and I started to learn in school about what was going on, like in Canada and our history, I started like questioning it, right? I had cousins and all that who, you know, they all would have like their status. And they were saying it was kind of like hidden within the family, like certain relatives that kind of knew and they wouldn't. Because like, it wasn't a man who passed it on through my family. Like once I started like doing my research, and like the bloodline was passed through women, Right. before it wasn't allowed right but then I think there was a law that passed and they're like no that's discrimination like my grandmother who I live with like she had a Métis card and everything for years and then my mom and my uncle were gonna get one but back in the day they're like it's like a library card so they're like oh what's the point right okay I'm currently helping my grandmother regain hers and they said yeah let's do that and then I'm helping my mom and my you know my other brothers and sisters who don't have the native status from like my stepdad who has that so, like, you know, I'm doing that, helping with my cousins. And it's, it's been a really cool, like, journey to see my family tree. Because, like, personally, it was unfortunate. I didn't know a lot about my Afro, like, heritage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know a lot about this either. But then I got onto Ancestry and I dug deep. And I was just like, it was so cool just to see my roots and where my roots stretched out to, right? Not just, like, you know, in Thunder Bay not just like a little places in Canada, provincial wide. And then I also have roots across the world. And it's like, it's me. I'm a Canadian. This is one of the things I've so loved about meeting people is just learning the history of people and seeing the joy that people have from learning about. You know who you came from. You know who your people are. You know what they went through. Yeah, no, it's totally like amazing. You know, I'm not going to lie. There was a while where I kind of felt lost, like, my family, you know, when you talked about like your native heritage, they kind of kept it quiet. And 
you know, there wasn't a lot of black left in my family. Like it was just my brothers and my sisters. We were like the only little branch, right? So we didn't get a lot of support and understanding in that either. And, you know, there was times with our family, we even, we had to face discrimination through them. And as the years went on, they even admitted they're like, it was on us. And it was just like, we had to like unlearn so many things that we were taught, right? right? I remember being little, I had like great grandparents, you know, they weren't as like loving, but as I got older, like the bonds that I had with them were just like, just amazing, right? So like once they started to like see where my dad came from and his challenges and, you know, we're all the same people, like they heard my story and his story, then they started like accepting it. And then, you know, I hear more about my, my native sides too. And it's just like, it's just nice. <laughs> it's very nice. What did you learn about either of your cultures in school? For Black culture, there really wasn't lots. I'm not kidding. I think like my brother and I, almost every school we ever went to, we'd be the only Black kids. You go to this odd school and you, there's another like maybe like set of siblings and you, you get to know each other, right? Once I got to high school, like I, this was about 1,500 kids at my school and there was only four Black kids. Because there's not a lot of like representation there, unfortunately, the board didn't see that it was necessary to add that to the curriculum, right? And like the only time you really would hear anything is if slavery was brought up and like the civil rights movements that would happen in the States and like just touched up just a little bit of stuff like that, right? Right. So like at school, I wouldn't learn a lot, but my stepdad, he was from Sudan. So like the one that like raised me up until I was like 12, he was very adamant on like teaching me and my brothers about like our heritage and just being like accepting of like your African culture, right? Like I think he could tell there was times you go to school and you're a little discouraged, right? Like I'm trying to straighten my hair. He's like, no, no, no. Like you are a king, right? And then you learn all these like stories and history about like all these great people like in, in Europe or like North America, right? I never knew much until he told me about the kings and like the empires like in Africa, right? Yeah. He was the first one that told me about like Madiba Mandela and he introduced me to like MLK and like all of them. It was through him and my mom too. She's like, you guys need to like understand your culture. They were the ones that really taught us. What about indigenous culture? With that, you learn a little bit more. I think it came down to like the school boards and the schools in particular, right? For me, I went to like to the Catholic schools. And I do remember my school being predominantly Indigenous. I remember we have like special guest speakers would come in. Like we used to have like our, the deacons and like the pastors would come in. We'd also have like spiritual advisors and like they'd come in. And I remember learning the stories of like, you know, local legends like Nanabiju here, right? And it was just like the, the legend of the sleeping giant, hearing about Turtle Island. Yeah, like that was awesome. Like to me, being like, you know, African as well. I, there's just something about like just that tribal essence and just like living within nature, right? Like just those teachings are just like, it spoke to me. And at the time I was younger and I was like in my head, kind of like probably like, I'm not native enough, so whatever. But like, as I got older, I was like, no, I'm, I'm native. I'm here, I'm strong. I'm African, I'm here, I'm strong. I'm Canadian, I'm here, I'm strong, right? Right. As you got a little bit older, it got even better, right? Um, there was a little bit more opportunities. So I think once you got to like grade seven and eight, you were able to be taught Ojibwe. Some students, they would opt for that and a lot of them. And I used to be so jealous of that class because they would get to go out and they used to like, you know, you're learning a culture. Unfortunately, you know, I didn't, I didn't learn. I took French instead because my family had some French roots. Right. I remember at that time, the only reason I didn't do it is because I was kind of like letting what 
Thunder Bay's like thoughts of what made somebody like native be. And so, you know, I was just like, I hit it. And then as I got older, right. And he started to learn more and more. I was like, nah, okay. Like I accepted it. Like I was like, you know, just as proud of that as like my African heritage. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot that's not discussed. Like the residential schools that was, that was taught. But I think that was kind of, again, it came to the school and it came to like, if the teachers were willing to discuss it. And, you know, growing up in the Indigenous community and like just hearing the elders and like, I've had friends who had parents, you know, I've had great grandparents that were in the systems. And it's just like, we were taught that, but when you're taught Canadian history, you're not taught that it was really native land. You're taught, oh, Samuel Champlain came over, right? And Jacques Cartier, right? And like those people came over and then you're like, okay, but then who were all these people and they helped them out, but they betrayed them. Like, this is just like, what? Right. So it was just like, as a kid, you know, it was very confusing. And so there was like a sense of like anger. How could we have done this to people that were like us? Like, I'm very grateful that I had like some really blessed teachers and, you know, some spiritual advisors in, in all regards, right. That taught me. Because of that, I felt like maybe a lot of it might have like slipped through the cracks. And I think especially in this city, like it is very important because like we have a big reserve next to us, like Fort William First Nations. They're big reserve. They're well known. You know, they're a nice reserve. And like I've got so many friends from there and like local reserves like nearby or like up north, like up in the remotes. And it's just like the way that you see how they live on the reserves and their communities, it's kind of the way that you would say, like, how my dad would talk about, like, how it was back home, right? Or let's say even, like, I've lived in, like, neighborhoods and Black communities, and, like, when I, I lived in Montreal for a bit with my mom, and it was like that. I remember being, like, in downtown, like, Montreal, and, like, the first time, like, a really Black neighborhood, and I was just like, whoa, this is, like, the first time, like, you know, I've never seen this, and it's just, like, it gave me the same feeling when I went to like, let's say hockey or went to school, like all my native buddies and stuff like that. Right. Where it's just like, there's just like that brief sense of relief where I can do something goofy. Right. That's just like, I don't have to be like, Oh, I don't have to put like my white face on. We know how to be in mixed company. We know how to be with our people. Right. <laughs> yes, we do. Right. Some of my white friends will say they're like, Oh, you really know how to flip that switch. I was like, sometimes you kind of have to. People outside of school really helped me like broaden my knowledge, right? Like, you know, the curriculum only did so much and it could do so much more. Like, like I said, there was nothing about black history. Like I, I had no idea until what was it, Africa town in like off the East coast. I didn't know about that until the events of George Floyd. Cause I started actually really, you know, diversing into my history. Cause I was like, that was kind of like a moment where I'm like, you know, as a Black Canadian, what do I know about Black Canadians? I know a lot about, like, you know, maybe my African heritage, like, you know, like my dad taught me, and, you know, I might know a lot more about what's going on in the States, because, you know, like media and everything. Did you know about the Colored Hockey League in Nova Scotia? They had a Colored Hockey League. Did not. And they had a team in Prince Edward Island, they had a team in Nova Scotia, and a team, I think, in New Brunswick. And as a matter of fact, Canada Post- I can't remember what year came out with a stamp honoring the Colored Hockey League. Look up on the Canada Post website. That gives me actually kind of goosebumps because, you know, like as being a colored hockey player, right? Everybody knows hockey's it's the white gentleman's club, right? And that sport itself has been very difficult in breaking boundaries. I read an article about Ted Nolan, who's mm-hmm. from Garden River First Nations. 
and who was yeah. the first full-time Indigenous head coach in the NHL. And he was asked about the racism he faced and how hard it was. And of course, we all heard about the incident directed at Jordan Subin, P.K. Subban's brother. Yeah. When another player made these kind of monkey gestures at him, I guess. Tell me about the hockey life and the racism you encountered there. When I was younger, you know, Thunder Bay, there was a very big divide, unfortunately, between the Native people and the white people there. I remember when I got in, I played for this uh, Westport hockey, and it was kind of like a little bit more blue-collared side of town, right? But it was also closer to the reserve. And so, you know, a lot of the Native kids would play there. And so for me, like, that's what it was. And we were a really good team, but the refs hated us. We used to get penalties all the time. And it was to the point, like, even in our games, we played shorthanded, but we would never let us bring us down because we'd still win. Our nicknames growing up would be the comeback kids. And it was like, it was really frustrating when I was little because you're like, oh, like, why are they treating us like this? Why are they treating our parents like this? Like, it just didn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. As you get older, you start to understand it, unfortunately. There's times where you're just like, this is like just disgusting. Once you want to get to higher levels of hockey, like there's a hockey politics. Everybody knows about that. And it's really unfortunate. It's kind of like who you know. And, you know, there's not a lot of Native or Black people in a high position in those organizations. So you don't see a lot of them getting drafted and all that. And, you know, as I got older, started hearing some stories and I was like that's ridiculous but coaches used to be like yeah we wouldn't draft native kids because we were worried we'd lose them halfway through the season and go they'd go like somewhere up to reserve or they always just you know they had this notion that there was always like they were just troubled some kids and you know maybe some kids had trouble but that's because you know they didn't realize the homes that they came from and you know I had a lot of friends that were they're my age their parents were in residential schools. Like a lot of people don't realize the last one closed in 97. I was born in 98. Right. You know, like that affected that. And so, you know, there was just like that stigma and it still continued. Like I went away. I could have stayed local and played for one of the teams who had a good year, but I was like, I just want to like go make a name for myself. I want to get out of here. And I went and like, you know, the first team I had, like I had to deal with pretty racist owner he wasn't like in a way where he was like super direct about it, right? He was very indirect. As the year went on, another like colored kid came out, like another black kid came out. I was like, this was the first time in my life I've ever played hockey with a black kid on my team. And like, I was so ecstatic. And I'm 20 years old at this point. Wow. I've never played with another like black kid on my team. Then that's when I started to realize, you know, you see the pattern because not only is it like towards me, it's towards like him a little bit. As like time went on, I was just like, oh, like it, it discouraged me, but I just kept my head down, worked hard, whatever. When like this uh, unrest was going on, you see like people's like mindset and what side they were at. I didn't realize I was like, oh yeah, that whole year I was kind of dealing with a lot of flack and, you know, people just like pushing back on me. They didn't want to see me succeed. And so, you know, that was tough. And then the next year, probably the hardest year, especially as a person of like color. So I went to this team. The owner's awesome. I knew management and he knew me. He knew where I stood. Like, and like they made me the captain of their team. And like there was like two other black kids on my team. And I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. And we had a few like native kids and stuff like that. And I was like, it kind of like it felt like at home, right? And it was nice. But then, you know, we get some of these games and you go out of town and you know, we went to some of these like French Canadian rural cities and or like little towns. And that's when you started to get 
a lot of hatred and bigotry stuff that you you know you heard that would have happened maybe like in the 50s or the 60s right it's 2019 right so in my head I'm like there's no way these people are doing this it didn't happen to me directly but it happened to the youngest of the three black kids on the team and he was a rookie he was only like 17 18 he's young and somebody like he got into like a fight with a kid and then he's just like oh yeah he's like you little n-word this and like starts like doing like the monkey gestures and like I found that out and I was like losing it in the hallway and the team's just like they go to the, the league and the league's like well it comes down to the refs and the refs were pretending like oh we didn't hear nothing right but then a little bit after somebody called one of the called him a frog and he got very upset by that and he suspended our player who called him a frog but the other guy that called our player the n-word got nothing wow so and uh, that wasn't even our worst a few months after that we go to another french canadian town playing this like defending champs it's crazy too because now looking back like what i do know about my native heritage it's apparently this is where like you know my family's rooted from i was like oh this is like community you guys are really not that nice we were playing them and you know one of our guys like gets like kicked off and they're like they started like caught like speaking in french they're like doing like doing monkey noises scratching their armpits this and that they're like oh and sang and sang right they didn't realize though myself and one of the other black kids we lived in montreal so we spoke french so we went right to the bench and we looked at them we looked at each other it's like oh tu comprends it's like oh terrible terrible and they all just looked at us like oh my god <laughs> and so we like left because you know it's whatever what are we gonna do at that point and, you know, that's when you thought it would have been at its absolute peak. And it only got worse after that. the game finished. And I guess one of the black kids was, like, walking out at the end. And uh, the other team was in there. And I guess they were, like, harassing him. And, like, some kids were, like, flipping him the finger. And some of, like, the parents. And, like, you know, they got kids on the team sort of calling him the N-word. And one of my teammates who, um, like, he was from Germany, too, right? And he was so disgusted. This is a big six-foot-five German kid. And he's disgusting. He's like, how do you do this to people and this and that? And like, they started calling him a Nazi. I'm the last one in because I'm the captain. I have to clean up like the locker room. So I'm the last guy out. And I hear this commotion and I'm going out and I just see these guys are all going like after. I was like, what's going on? And they told me and I flames took over. And I was just like, I'm like, you two get out. Right. And like these dads are yelling at me like I'm not fighting. Like there was no physical altercation, like nothing like that. But it was just verbal and it was just disgusting because it was like, there were these boys who were like my age hiding behind their girlfriends, their parents, and their parents and them are also kind of spewing the same stuff. You can see how it's taught and like where this mentality is. Like they're calling us monkeys. They're calling us the N-word. They're telling us just to go back and this and that. And then, you know, I'm a smart ass. So I was just like, well, I mean, I'm indigenous too. So you're on my land if you really want to go there. And it just got to the point where, you know, the league had to really look into this incident and it was unfortunate because the, they didn't do nothing. Yeah. So then, you know, as it went on, there was another incident and finally, like there was uh, we're playing a team and these kids are just running their mouths all day. And so they kind of went after one of my guys. And I just want to kind of go like pull him off, nothing. And the guy starts like turning around, starts swinging at me. So as a player instinctively, you're like, okay, I guess I have to fight. And I'm just about to stop and let go. And he's like, oh, it's you, you dirty monkey, huh? And I was like, I started just feeding him. And like to the point where, you know, I just, 
I got an extra two game suspension for excessive use of force. But this was finally because like the refs there knew me and they're like, you know, I was very timid for so long. And they're like, what happened? And I told them and they're like, yeah, OK, no, that's it. And so he ended up getting a 10 game suspension and he was on probation for the rest of the year. And that incident kind of went up and around. But like one of the big things that I'll never forget about that moment was, you know, I've had incidences over the years and I've never heard anybody apologize, nothing. That guy waited for me at the end of the game and he's like, you know what? It's uncalled for. It's like, I know I'm in trouble, but he's like, I shouldn't have said that. He's like, I just said something so stupid. So he actually came, he shook my hand and he asked for an apology. And so like, that was kind of like, out of a, like a dark moment, you kind of saw a silver lining because you're like, okay, people are starting to see that their actions are so toxic and they're so bad, right? It was good. And then unfortunately I got traded halfway and I go to a new team and there's no black kids on the team, but I actually had, you know, some indigenous friends. And two of the boys were from Thunder Bay. And it was crazy. We're playing in Southern Ontario. We've never met each other. Like to this day, like we're all still super close. And I have a friend from Saskatchewan. We're all super close. But us four faced discrimination on this team. And like, it was frustrating. You know, we'd be harassed all the time. Didn't matter what we could do. Like, I knew like some of like the other kids on my team, they'd be out partying like all night long and drinking and driving, like all that crazy stuff. They had no repercussions. Right. And my buddies and I, we wouldn't even do anything, but they were still trying to find nitpicking. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was just like, this is getting ridiculous. Right. Like, if you guys notice that it's only us four that are just being harassed and they're like, yeah, no, we know. And it got to the point where I was just like, I called out the team. I called my agent. I was like, this is enough is enough. I was like, either you guys are not seeing this discrimination because it's like, you guys traded for me. I had my choice to go anywhere and I chose you guys. And you guys are just going to come here and sit me and tell me that I'm not better than these guys. And I'm like, that's not true. Cause like I came from like a better division and all that. And, you know, and I said it to the same with the other guys, I was like, you guys traded for us for a reason. And you guys are just always benching them and stuff like that. And then the year finished and like, we got like that resolved for a bit. And like these kids got their opportunities. These kids were excelling. It's like, they just needed, you know, somebody to not bench them. Right. right. And it was like, for me, like I was supposed to go for a, a college scholarship, but COVID ruined that one. And so that's where my, um, my opportunity for Europe came from. You were playing in Poland. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in Poland this year, actually. That was actually a lot of fun. It was amazing. Like just a total culture shock. So my mom's like dad, his mother, her family's from Poland. So, you know, there was some roots there. It was just kind of like, it was another cool little coincidence, right? I'm just like, well, would you look at this? God, the creator keeps sending me somewhere that I'm, I'm like got some type of root, right? The hockey itself was like amazing. And it was just like, there was kind of like this like sense there of like, like that was a nation that knew what like hatred was about. A lot of people actually understood that. Like I went there and it was crazy. And it was like, a lot of Europeans actually knew about uh the findings of like the residential schools and they were kind of like discussing that and they're like yeah like Canada for so long you have like this notion that they're just you know these peacekeepers and you know in general they are but there's blood on their hands that they you know they didn't want to talk about don't get me wrong you're in a very predominantly white nation as well and I was a little hesitant going there but it really wasn't like that bad like I, I never had many issues or nothing I think the biggest issues were, I think they thought I was American from my, my English. 
during like the mask thing my girlfriend didn't have her mask on but we didn't know like the mandate got put back on because you know we didn't speak polish we didn't know like the things and they're giving us a hard time because we're speaking english and then we're like oh we're canadian and as soon as we said canadian they were as nice as can be love it that was the only kind of discrimination i really like faced down there (laughs) (laughs) so it was kind of it was different it was nice and it was just like i had like buddies and all that like because they knew i was black they'd ask they're like hey like because they, they come from very very predominantly like only white cultures literally anything they know is from the internet what they could read and as we both know that there's a stereotype that's out there that's not going to be portrayed properly right there was one kid he was like yeah i'm not gonna lie before i met you i was kind of scared like most black people scared me this and that and then he's like then i met you and i was just like I think that was just because of like everything that I read. I was just too scared. It was crazy. And then it was just like, I told them like, like the history and stuff like that. And they're, again, they're just blown away. Like they're like, North America does that. And they have the audacity to say this about Russia, like Germany, places like that. And I'm like, yeah. Yep, that's true. This brings me to the anti-Black racism protests. It was amazing to see how many countries around the world took part in this. What was it like in Thunder Bay during the worldwide anti-Black racism protests that were happening after the death of George Floyd? I think after that happened, it was kind of like the conversation was finally being had, right? You know, that conversation that people, like Black people for how many years have been screaming at the top of their lungs, like, hey, hey, hey. And like, I said this to people, I was like, you know what? I was like, it was so terrible how this happened, but because of how it happened, everybody's locked away they're all in their houses they're fighting for their lives the bare minimum and you witness nine minutes of a man being murdered over a 20 dollar bill it really brought like anger out into people that wouldn't have necessarily paid attention to this on another day right and i think because you know everything was so focused on social media at that point it really made it necessary for not just Canada, the U.S., like you said, like worldwide, like support was happening. Mm-hmm. And Thunder Bay, I was surprised. Part of me was just like, okay, you know, I know some of the support was just for show, but as a black person, this is still support, and there's getting a message out. Like I remember reading this one thing, and it was just like discussing how sometimes to change the perspective of other white people, it's just going to need a white man, and he's a white man who's heard and understands the, you know, the story. We can go say something to them as much as we want, but unfortunately, because we don't look like them, we don't have that sense of relief because it's like when you go with somebody around, you connect, right? Right. Well, with that, you started to like having white people having this conversation with other white people. You started to see like the ripple effect, like you started to see more support when we ended up having our rally and everything. Like I didn't expect that much support. The day of the event, the estimates were anywhere between I think two to like 2,500 people showed up. Wow that's amazing. It was so short notice and it was ran by a bunch of kids and like like a global pandemic's going on like we had like doctors and nurses and health units like coordinating with us like hey we actually support this idea but we don't want people getting sick so like how can we help the other donating masks and everything. It was kind of really nice you know you're seeing all this support there was like times where even like the police would show up and like they we would like expect them to you know give us a hard time They're like no we're actually kind of just gonna do some security like whatever but we also had like another security agency kind of reach out They're like yeah we just want to like 
walking around the grounds, make sure people are okay. And like our native brothers and sisters came out, right? We actually had some elders reach out to us and they did a dance for us and they did a song. And it was just like, you know, we both can understand the pain. We both understand it because, you know, in particular, like the George Floyd, like that is like, it's police brutality against black people, right? But right. in Canada, police brutality, the numbers show that it's the Indigenous community that's affected the most, right? And so that was kind of a message that dear and near to both of our hearts. And, you know, it was awesome to see that support. And again, like there was a support of um, just so many like white people that came out and it was just like crazy. And like the whole day itself was just like out of a movie in a dream, right? Like came together, like, you know, we just show up to the park. We had all our signs, our supplies, and then people just started showing up. They just kept coming and coming. And we're like, yo, like, this is crazy. Because most of us at the time were like in between like 17 and like 21. We're just a bunch of goofballs. So it was like a group of girls that actually started it. And they were going to lose out on the um, opportunity because there was only one black girl and the other girls were white. And people were like, oh, you can't do that. So they kind of reached out to like my brother and some of his friends and like some of like the guys on like their high school basketball team there. Like, hey, like, we need some like support. So we're like, this needs to happen, right? So we're like, yeah, tell them we'll help out. Thinking that we were just going to go, you know, put up a sign or two. Two days later, it's myself and, you know, four or five others completely organizing this whole thing. And we're like, okay. It led to some really memorable moments afterwards. Like we got like so much donations from that, that, you know, we started up a scholarship. You know, we went to the Catholic board and we just figured it'd be easier just with, right off the bat, like, just with our connections because of like we were pretty like close with like our student council and then like our you know the staff so we were like hey we'd like to start the black excellence award it was an award for a student of afro-caribbean descent who wanted to pursue either you know schooling or you know an apprenticeship like type program and we just gave like five hundred dollars to them we went to all our graduations and it was like italians got an award the slovaks the swedish kids like all of them, like the native kids all got that, but then there was only one group of kids that really didn't. And so we were like, we're gonna change that with that. And it's cool because, you know, we, we thought it was a one-off and I hadn't heard from it in a while, but it turns out people ever since that have been donating to make sure that award stays up every year. Like I said, it's like the ripple effect, like you just didn't know what was coming out of this, right? Like there was just opportunities and there was like for stories. And it was just like, like I said, I was just this hockey player, like goofball. I'm so focused on that and work then all of a sudden like I got this and I loved it like I, I absolutely love it you should be so proud of yourself make that happen <laughs> that is so cool that is really cool Thanks. and it's not even just me like I have my friends Patia, Adonis and Fatima you know and Woja as well they were just as equally as part of it at the time right I couldn't have done it without them because you know there were so many people messaging and you had like donations and we're like trying to figure it out and like you know they did an awesome job right you had this idea that you always wanted to do and it just you know god took it you have no idea where things are going to lead you i know that racism is really hard on us around our mental yeah. health and our self-worth and our feelings about ourselves. and so i mean this mm -hmm. must go a long way to helping you with that right definitely like you know you see again like the mental health you see like in the communities especially the colored ones there's a struggle there's like because of the stigma and it's just like like I was saying, like, in like the medical field here, it doesn't seem like people care, right? And so like that sense of community, that sense of belonging, and just like 
having people there to support you and just like knowing there's resources and just it helps hopefully this racism can just end and that's just one less mental issue that we can deal with there's so much racism and genocide directed at indigenous people and so much racism directed at black people when i was in thunder bay i got to talk to marie diawara and to miriam bangura two of them talked about the black lives matter thing and what marie was saying was how much she loved that Black people and Indigenous people came together to make this thing happen. I mean, you already talked earlier about how there's something about we have a connection. We've been through lots of the same things. When we get with our people, when our families, we have some of the same experiences. There's something Mm -hmm. about that, that we're connected. What do you think about going forward, uh, supporting each other? So going forward, I think it's just like, we got to continue to realize again, like we have a common, like, past of trauma and if we keep like relying on each other and just like notice that like both communities are not so different that we can help uplift each community right like I know so many amazing people in all the communities and like they all have like the same drive they want to see their people succeed and again it's because of that that I think like why it's necessary just to kind of like share the stories and like share like the space to tell them right I understand the stories are different it's just I also do know that the pain behind the stories and the trauma behind them are going to be very similar that it's not like it'll be falling on broken ears and if you can get that message across and have more people building to a better future then who knows hearing each other's story and supporting the communities and knowing that at the end of the day we're really not so different we we had to kind of battle and deal with a certain type of system and no matter what we're still here they tried to erase both types of peoples and we're still here that's right we're still standing is there anything else that you'd like to share before we finish up here today i think i talked a lot (laughs) (laughs) it was great Great. Uh, I thank you for having me and everything. So I don't have anything else to add, but saying <laughs> I really hope this project of yours just continues to excel. It's kind of like great to know that there's like there's a place for the stories to be heard and told. There is, it really is. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website www.intheblackcanada.ca to listen to Black Canadians from across this country talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.